Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 423. Work hard and you'll get it done. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Brian Bonner. Brian, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, you know it, Mark. All right. Great to have you here. Brian Bonner is the president at BRM, Bonner Race Marketing. After a career racing motorcycles and cars, from Formula Fords, IMSA Camel Lights, IMSA GTP, to IndyCar, ARCA, and NASCAR, today Brian helps ensure that the most deserving drivers and teams get their shot at the top. He encourages brands and corporations how to build powerful campaigns around world-class athletes and their driving talents. BRM helps clients benefit from their unique attributes in motorsports to achieve positive and measurable business results. Brian, I've told our listeners a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your business, your career, and, of course, your passion for automobiles and racing? I think you covered it, Mark. So, <laughs> so we're done. having me. We're done. Yeah, it's been good, good having you here. Let's go out on the track and have some fun now. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> That's more fun. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I've, been in, I've been involved in racing since I was a kid, and I won't say how many years ago that was because <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. Uh but I started at a very early age and I got the bug and, you know, I, I went, I went as far as I could with the talent that I had available to me. And, you know, the old racing expression is, you know, what happened to that guy, you know, when he crashed and it's, you know, he ran out of talent. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, often in, in my, in, in racing, you run out of talent or you run out of money and uh, that's, yes. that's, your, that's your limiting factor. And, and my whole, uh, so, so I got as far as I could. And racing with my talent level, and I, I'm comfortable with that. But you know, when I stopped racing, I'd always gotten my own sponsors. So when I stopped racing, I decided what I really wanted to do was make sure that the, the guys that I raced, guys and girls that I raced with, that were really special, that were really super talented, but weren't getting the opportunities that they should have based on their talent. Well, I could help them with mm -hmm. the funding because unfortunately, funding you know fuels the racing industry you know, a lot more than talented drivers do. So, yeah. so I started working for other people. You know, I, I think um, my first uh, sponsorship with, for somebody else was 
Raul Boisel in the Indy 500 in 98. Oh, right. And that was, that was, you know, my first deal for somebody else. I really liked it. And, you know, uh, I've been doing this basically that since then with a little sort of side, you know, for, foray into the automotive retail industry, which, you know, we can talk about if you want to hear yeah. horror stories. But um, <laughs> so that's what I do now. I work with a, a very small handful of very, very talented drivers. You know, we, we really concentrate on open wheel racing, which, you know, is IndyCar on the ladder system to IndyCar sure. um, at the moment. But we're kind of branching out into a couple other things, including uh, probably sports cars and global rally cross, uh, which I find to be a kind of an interesting and very uh, exciting new, you know, uh, discipline. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's that small family here in North Carolina. And my son just started racing go-karts, so I'm, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. The generational twist again. So, you know, it's really cool. I hear this from a lot of my guests who are racers. The challenge with money is so, so difficult. And they've all said the same thing you've said, that there are so many really, really talented people but they just don't have the the means or the wherewithal, the connections to get into racing and uh, bring all the money in so that they can compete. So I think it's really nice that you're doing it, given your background, too. You understand all the idiosyncrasies and challenges that these folks will face. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah, I know you love to drive and you drive well. So, Brian, take the wheel. My main mantra is work hard and you'll get it done. <clears throat> In my business, it's very, very, uh, that's very, very true. As long as you stick with what, and what I do is I find, you know, generally what my, the bulk of my job is finding sponsorship. And if you really believe in something, meaning you believe in the property, the driver, the team, whatever it is that you're representing, mm -hmm. and you really believe that that prospect that you found is perfect for that property, that goes a long way to getting that deal done. Yep. Uh, but you have to work really hard at it. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a long process and it's very easy to get discouraged and throw your arms up in the air and say, you know what, I, this isn't going to work, but you know, you just get it. You have to find another angle, keep pushing that door open. Yeah, you know, it is. I, I, a couple of racers that come to mind that I've had on this show, Ari Leyendijk and Lynn St. James, and both mm -hmm. of them shared stories where they were just right on the brink of just, you know what, this isn't going to work for me. And something happened. They met somebody. In the case of one of them, they met somebody in a hotel lobby just by happenstance, and that person became a sponsor. So you just have to keep opening those doors, like you say, uh, you know, and if your your knocking isn't working, maybe you knock on a different door or you knock right. a different way. So but don't uh, stop knocking. Yeah, you got <laughs> to keep. my quote. Don't yeah. stop knocking. I like that. Yeah. I'm going to use that one, too. I'm always chasing sponsors here at Cars. Yeah. So, yeah, don't stop knocking. You have to just keep trying, especially if you believe in what you're you're doing and, like you said, your driver. So really cool. Now, you talked about getting the racing bug when you were a little kid and now your son's following in those footsteps, but would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars and racing? Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you kind of looked in the mirror and said, uh-oh, I'm a car guy? Well, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, so my, my background, when I started racing, I raced uh, when I was a kid, I raced dirt bikes. And, you know, honestly, I, I didn't, I was, I was so involved with dirt bikes and racing motocross and wanting to be, you know, the best at that. I didn't even bother getting my driver's license until I was 18. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because I was, my, my dad took me to the practice track every day and my dad drove me to the races on the weekend. And I, 
honestly, getting a car was not, you know, on my radar. Yeah. And so then, you know, I got a hand-me-down car from my mom, I think, when I was uh, 18. And I said, oh, I'll probably get my driver's license now. <laughs> <laughs> so that shows you, you know, how focused I was. That's how focused I get on something. Yeah. Then I, I think that the I really got the car bug through racing, of course, because that's, you know, what flows from my veins. And I went to the... Meadowlands Grand Prix IndyCar race mm-hmm. in 1985, and I, it was just on a lark. I wasn't really particularly interested in IndyCar racing at the time, although I started watching. I was watching Formula One more on TV at that time. But I went to that race, and I went, "Oh, that's this is it. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I want." And it was at a time when I was trying to decide what I was going to do after motocross because you know, I was already you know 25, and you have to retire from motocross when you're 25 because your body is worn out. Oh yeah. So. That was it. That was what I, I can recall that race like it was yesterday. Cool. And just the sound and the speed and the smell and the colors of the cars and, you know, Danny Sullivan and Mario. And oh, yeah. It was just, to me, it was like a total aha moment. I just, it blew me away. And I had to figure out how I could do that. Wow. And little <laughs> and, did you know those days where you'd end up, which is even more cool. Right. I mean, and, and, you know, if I sit here and think about it from sitting in the stands at that race to sitting in a IndyCar racing against those same guys, it, it was seven years later. Surreal. Yeah. I had, I had <laughs> never sat in a race car or even really thought about it before that day. Wow. Ah, that's so cool. What an awesome story. You know what I'd love to do now, Brian, is uh, take a look at some of the roads you've driven down, crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. You've selected, you know, a career in racing. Talk about being fraught with ups and downs and challenges and trials and tribulations. But the more important part of the story has to do with how did you overcome that particular situation and what did it teach you so that you could move forward? Well, I mean, I think of whenever I think of, you know, I can think of a lot of different challenges from a you know business standpoint, but those aren't really that much fun to talk about, so I won't. <laughs> um, and the biggest challenge that I ever faced in a racing format was uh, qualifying for the Indy 500 the mm. first time. Mm. I always use that as an example of perseverance and also understanding that you, your limits aren't what you you think your limits are, because you can push past limits and find another limit. The short form version of the story is. The Indy 500 in 1992 was my first IndyCar race. Mm-hmm. It was also my first oval track race. Wow, a lot of um, firsts. Right. And I'd had, um, I think, one day in uh, an IndyCar. I drove for Dale Coyne Racing, um, and I still know and love Dale to this day. I had one day of testing at Sebring, and you know, I had to pass my you know, rookie test to be able to even, you know, race an Indy car. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Indy and, and I did not have a race car. Uh, mm-hmm. My teammate was Eric Bachelart, who's also still a very good friend. And I drove his car uh, at, on rookie, rookie orientation, which you have to complete that before they let you go out and practice with all the big boys. Mm-hmm. So I, I drove his car for, and they gave me a whole hour and a half. To <laughs> oh my gosh. All phases of rookie orientation, which normally takes, you know, at least a day. Wow. So I got that done and... Back in those days, Indy was two full weeks of practice, and then there was you know there was qualifying first weekend, and then there was another set of qualifying the second weekend, which is you know different now, but that's the way it was for years and years. Mm-hmm. So 
I um, didn't have a race car at all the first week, and we were waiting to see you know what teams would qualify for us weekend, and then be able to sell their backup cars. Oh gosh, they weren't going to wreck them. So I ended up with um, Dale went and bought uh, a, a, at the time Kenny Bernstein. I'm sure everybody knows Kenny Bernstein's name, but he he had his IndyCar program at the time. He had he you know had that running alongside. I think he had his drag racing program, his NASCAR program, and his IndyCar program all running at the same time back in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, he had two drivers. He had Roberto Guerrero and Jim Crawford enter in the race in those beautiful you know green Quaker State. Oh um, yeah. Cars. So we went, so um, my team owner Dale went in to, to buy a car from Kenny. And this was like Wednesday of the second week was when they would first, you know, release the car. And, and Kenny is a real smart <laughs> businessman, as people probably know. Mm-hmm. And he knew that they had the last quote unquote good car that was in the garage area. Okay. So the price that he had quoted to Dale went up you know, by some giant measure. Yeah. And, you know, when Dale, I Dale came back into the garage and he took his checkbook. He's one of these big, you know, those big industrial checkbooks. <laughs> the <and> golfer's checks. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And he took that thing and he tossed it. He hummed it across the garage and hit the wall. And, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. A little upset. A little bit upset, but at least I knew I had a car. So, but we, we had to, you know, change components out. And I ended up doing about a day and a half of practice in that car. Uh, before qualifying and unfortunately the you know the friday before qualifying i was on track and and uh yellow lights came on and i pitted in and my one of my very good friends was a guy named jovi marcello he had crashed and i was on the track at the time and and I, I, dale you know came came over to me to talk to me and i said you know so how's jovi and he said you know we can't talk about that right now you've got you know business to concentrate on and it turned out that Jovi had passed away in that accident and yeah, uh, yeah. really took the wind out of my sails. And, and, you know, I got back to the garage and, and Eric Bashlart and I spent a long time trying to figure out if we were going to even, you know, continue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's, you know, until that happens uh, and you're present and you're also, you know, involved in that act- activity, you, you can't really sort of estimate what the impact that's going to have. So I had to go out the next day and, and, and try to qualify the car. And we thought it was going to take probably somewhere around uh, 218 to 219 uh, as an average speed to qualify for the race uh, that year. And I was stuck at 215. The team was, I'd say, you know, the, the car is just pushing. It's pushing so bad I can't, I can't drive it. Hmm. <clears throat> and they'd say, you're making it push by lifting. And so you have to remember that I'm, I'm a road racer. And so, in a, you know, when you're road racing, when, you know, your car is pushing, it's, you dial the push out or you adjust your line or you do a number of things. But in an Indy car, you know, apparently when it's, it's pushing, the opposite, isn't you keep, it? You keep your foot on the floor. Oh, yeah. And so for all your preservation instincts to go faster yeah. to make the car better. And I just couldn't I couldn't do it for the longest time. You have to picture this as you're going down the straightaway in India, you know, 230 something miles miles an hour. I can't imagine. Yeah. And, and turn one is it's it's a 90 degree left hand corner. Now it's a big corner, mm-hmm. but it's not very banked, and it's still 90 degrees. You can't you know change that. Right. So and, and you know the way that the grandstands come in, <clears throat> it looks kind of like a tunnel. So you've got these visual that makes it look like a much tighter corner than it 
it really is. And it's just that you're fighting with it the whole time. And so oh, what, wow. what you're asking your brain to do is to tell your right foot to stay on the floor as you're making <laughs> corner. And it's super, super difficult for somebody that doesn't have that oval track background. So we were stuck at 215 and went out on Saturday morning of qualifying to practice again. Still stuck at 215 and you know, I'm asking the team to change the car and they're telling me to stop lifting. And we had that you know, conversation. And then Dale came to me and he said, listen, let's go get, let's go get in the pace car and let's just drive some laps in the pace car and let's just you know, talk. And his premise was we were going to go look at the line and make sure that I was driving the line, but he didn't, he really didn't care about that. He just, it was a, uh, I guess a come to Jesus meeting. Yeah. And, and, and he said, um, look it, he said, this is up to you. He said, you can, you have the ability to do this and qualify for this race, but you have to, you have to do what we tell you. Right. And if you're not willing to do that, I, I can respect that, but just go back to the garage and get your stuff and leave. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't want to do what we tell you to do, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. And so just do it the way we tell you to do it and you'll be fine. And, you know, I had to go back and get back in the car and say, I, I have to trust this. Yeah. yeah. I have to trust what they're saying is true. And, and if they say that it's true and, and, you know, but you have to do it right. You know, I mean, you can't go and turn one flat out and then lift halfway because you, you're scared. Right. You it's it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. And so you have to commit to it. And, and I did. And they were right. <laughs> Surprise. It worked. And it was like, uh, you know, everybody says that you can see a guy at Indy when the, when the, light, the light bulb first comes on because it just all changes. Yeah. And, and you realize that this is, they've designed the car to operate like this. And you've been trying to operate it like that. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you sort of get in the moment with the car and you start of, you know, get in the groove, it just becomes a thousand percent easier. Wow. So, so that was, I think that was the biggest challenge was the, the mental issue of, you know, I had just seen the day before exactly what the consequences could be. Okay. Sure. If you, if you got it wrong at this place. Right. And, yeah. and so, you know, it, it, was, it was fairly significant, but I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that one corner. Oh gosh. Yeah. Awesome. And the great story, Mark, is that I, when I got to turn two, that lap, <laughs> Yep. I was going about 25 miles an hour faster than I'd ever been there. So I totally screwed that up, of course. But <laughs> well, I ended up, ended up stringing them together and I, and I did qualify the car at, you know, 220, you know, about an hour later. So wow. obviously Dale's little pep talk was sort of pivotal in my career. Nice motivation. Absolutely. What a great story. Thanks for taking us there through that. Wow. Incredible. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And I'd love for you to share kind of a, a career aha moment that you had somewhere along the way. And tell us the step you take to take that aha moment to your success. Um, I think the, I'll go back to my uh, dealings with Rollo Boisel and, and at the '98 Indy 500 because I had <clears throat> I had gotten out of racing for a little bit um, after I got out of the car in I think it was '94 '95. I was just burnt out and really was sort of not interested in being around a racetrack if I wasn't in a race car. So I, I went off and did some other things. And then I just, and I got the bug again. And and that's when I decided that I I could do this for other people. Mm -hmm. And then if I was going to do it for other people, I needed to find people that weren't me that were better than me. So, Uh so the guys that I raced with that were, you know, ahead (laughs) that were doing things in race cars and anybody that's ever driven a race car that, you know, is of, uh, I would say, you know, average to better talent has been on the track with people that are 
more gifted and you and you'll see that the car doing stuff that you know you know you can't do yeah <laughs> and you're like how's that how is that guy doing that <laughs> yeah exactly so so though when i decided that i was going to do it for other people i decided i was going to find those guys and i and through circumstance i kind of bumped into well in the team that he was driving for which was Dem- dennis mccormick's team at the time and ended up putting a deal together for them uh, with a company called Steelmaster Buildings, which sounds, you know, unlikely, but and it worked out. And and I had been involved in a sponsorship of a car I wasn't in, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. it was and it was very satisfying, yeah, for me. Yeah. So that was the way for me to channel. I still had a huge competitive streak, and I still do to this day. I still wanted to beat other people. Yeah. And and I found that they, I could beat other people to to a business deal. Cool, and, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that was, you know, it wasn't. It's not the same. It's it'll never be the same. But that's how I get my, you know, the majority of my competitive uh, instinct gets satisfied now through business. Nice, I love it. How about your proudest uh, career moment? Is there one in particular you could share with us that really stands out for you? Um, I, you know, I I, I would say just collectively. Um, sort of being involved with the guys that I'm involved with right now. And, and it, it might sound a little cheesy, but I happen to have three of the, I consider to be the best young American drivers that are in open wheel racing right now. And it's Joseph Newgarden and Spencer Piggott and Neil Elberico. Nice. And I was involved with an organization called Rising Star Racing. And my partner, Art Wilmes, and I set this up essentially just to do what we talked about at the beginning of this was to try to find funding for for young guys that didn't have the trust fund behind them or mm-hmm. their you know the uncle that owned panasonic um, <laughs> yeah darn it where, which I actually where, i actually raised a guy whose uncle his grandfather owned panasonic oh nice <laughs> um, so i think that to me is i'm, I'm very proud of that there really hasn't been anything like that organization in in the u.s there's there's a, a organization in the uk called uh, racing steps and it's the same idea but mm-hmm. nobody's really done that in this way in this country and and so now i've got joseph is in indycar he's going into his fourth year in indycar which is crazy to, now to think about cool. and spencer is going into his first year with uh, ray hall letterman lanigan racing nice and, and uh neil will be in indy lights next season with any if i if i do my job well very cool awesome what a team that's great yeah, so, and they're great kids you know when i talk about them kids they're you know all between you know 21 and 24 yeah, Joseph's just about to be 25. But when we look at criteria for the, for our drivers, it's got to be ungodly talented is number one. Yeah, uh, has to have a need, meaning they're not funded already, mm-hmm. and they have to have burning desire. Like we'll do, you know, anything it takes, and mm-hmm. literally anything it takes. Like if I said go sell your car and ditch your girlfriend, they would do that, which. <laughs> because that would be mean but they would do it <laughs> um, there's and, some angry women out there right now that don't <laughs> like you very much <laughs> exactly but the, the and the last part of it is they have to be you know good guys good people yeah, yeah. raised well raised well is the only way that i can explain it and uh so i never have to worry about getting a phone call mm-hmm. and having somebody said hey you know your guy is in you know the the county slammer because of this or that you right know, worry about any of them they're yeah. all they're all good. They're all good kids. Very cool. I love it. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? <laughs> oh, I had a, I think it's 74. I believe it was a 74 Maverick. Maverick. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and that was special. Trust me, that was special. I had the, 
eight track player that was mounted under the dashboard with a block of wood. <laughs> uh, I remember that car pretty well. I had a um, Austin Healey Sprite. That's cool. Yeah, that was a cool car. I sold that. I, I kind of bought that for, I think, about $500 and sort of restored it. I call it restore it now, uh, which is I probably buffed it, uh, <laughs> if I recall. Yeah. I sold it to my cousin who totaled it the next day. Oh, uh, no. Oh, well. But, I mean, I, I've had, you know, I've had some interesting cars. Um, my racing has always, you know, overtaken my sort of street car um, oh, of course. collection. Yeah. But I've had, you know, I'm a, I, I love Porsches. I've had uh, 911 Cabriolet when I was racing Indy cars, which was really fun. And I got into, you know, more trouble than I probably should have. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, this is probably sounds crazy, but I'm a wagon guy for no particular reason. I don't oh. really need wagon, but I, for some reason I love wagons. And yeah. I currently have a, uh, a little bit older Audi S6. Um, oh, okay, yeah. And, and which is a really, really cool car. Oh, those are awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I tell my, I tell my son that's, you know, probably one of the more rare cars on the road these days because I think they only imported about a thousand over oh, a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. And so he thinks that's cool. So, uh, oh, I wanted one of those real bad when they came in. Well, you talk about cars you used to have. Is there one car in particular you really wish you had back in your garage? That, I think the 911. I think the 911 was probably the car. That's the one car I'd like to. I'd like to have that one back. Yeah, I had an '84 Cabriolet. It was a wonderful car. It was a Euro model. Uh, drove it to work every day when I was living in San Diego. I once went 300 days without putting the top up because wow. the weather was so good down there. But uh, well, I was living in Boston at the time. So. Oh no, that wouldn't work there. No, get, the case. A little chilly. A little chilly. Uh, another fun, <laughs> funny story about that car is that I had gotten that car right after I had a 944. Oh, so okay. I had so and and with the 944, everybody knows that that's just a wonderfully balanced car to drive, right? And you know, no horsepower, but you know, just lots of fun and just amazing balance. I mean, 50 50 weight distribution and all that. So and there was an exit ramp off the highway that I took to get home, and it was a downhill decreasing radius corner, mm-hmm. and I had that thing dialed in my 944. I mean, just drop two gears and just back on the gas. <laughs> and, I, and the very first time I tried that in my 911, uh, different story. Yeah, I understood uh, the the difference in the 911 um, pretty quickly and ended up in the you know median in the grass. Yeah, uh, big time yep. oversteer on those it, rear engine cars. Didn't hit anything though, so that was that was a positive. Good. What what are you working on these days? You mentioned the three uh, clients you have there, the young drivers that you're uh, helping out. Uh, there are other projects you're working on right now. You know, this is the new year for us. They really have you excited and fired up. So I've got those three guys, and I also have I work with uh, the Patron ESM team. If anybody follows sports car racing, uh, Scott Sharp and Extreme Speed Motorsports, and they're you know, based out of down there in uh, Florida. Yeah, but they they race in the World Endurance Championship now and. And uh, they're also they will do Daytona and Sebring, but we're we're working on some um, sponsorship for them currently, and that's uh, that's really exciting. That's a super super high level uh, team in terms of pro- professionalism and presentation, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, just there. And and Scott and I I was first teammates with Scott in sports cars in 1991, <laughs> and so yeah, a long we, time. 
we go back a long way and and I kind of you know joke about those days because he was he was pretty good at wrecking our car. Uh oh, <laughs> he's come a long way since then. But oh yeah, he's he's, uh, he's been racing forever. So yeah, and his dad, you know, obviously everybody knows Bob Sharp. So yeah, yeah. just fun fun people to be around. So working on that and uh, working on as I said uh, some global rallycross stuff, which I think is really. That series is really fun. Um, if anybody has one of those races coming out near them, I'd strongly encourage you to go see it because uh, it's it's quite a show. Um, oh, yeah. It's really built for today's level of attention span. Mm-hmm. So it, it's like Twitter for racing. <laughs> That's a nice way to describe it. Just, yeah, yeah. The races are, you know, 10 minutes long and, um, you know, you can you can watch the whole thing without – falling asleep like you, like I do during a NASCAR race. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Brian. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, it would have to be a race car. So let's just get that. We'll start We'll start ticking those things off. All right. Um, hmm. Open wheel, closed wheel? That's an interesting question. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to picture myself. It's like, it's like that question, you know, what, what kind of animal you, would you be? <laughs> well, kind of, but uh, who <laughs> right? cares about that? We're well, talking know, cars. But, like, <laughs> but you have to also be honest. Yes. Right? Yeah. So you have to look at your, you have to look at yourself and say, well, what, what, what am I really? Exactly. So I, I would say, I would say a uh, sports car, an IMSA GTP car from the 90s. Ah, okay. They were, you know, fast, but that you could also bang around a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, cool. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an Italian from Boston, so. <laughs> okay, uh, all right. Sometimes there's a little banging around. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, Boston Italian, boy, that's a volatile mixture of fuel there, I think. So <laughs> very cool. Well, Brian, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. All right, Brian, we're back, and we're entering the last lap. And you know what that means as a racer, the white flag's out. Time to put your foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick Lips of the throttle answer. So you ready? Mm, sure. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Dale Coyne, go flat out all the way around. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, don't lift. Don't lift. Don't lift. Will you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Uh, I think I'll go back to perseverance and um, don't waste people's time. Ah, very, very good. Yeah, very important for uh, entrepreneurs specifically. Do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? Um, I, I, they can go take a look at my uh, website, which is uh, brmrace.com. And there's, I've got some stuff there. And also risingstarracing.com is where you can learn some about uh, our three drivers. Very cool. Yeah, you've got a great website, by the way, too. Really fun. Great job there. And is there one book in particular you think our listeners would really enjoy reading? 
Oh, uh, the art of racing in the rain. <laughs> Garstein. You know, I just got an email this morning. I, he's that's the second most recommended books by my guests here, and I've been. Is it really? I have been trying to get a hold of that guy. I would love to have him be a oh, guest I on could, my show. I could probably, I could probably arrange that. Oh, that would be awesome because I would well, really. Kevin, Kevin York is uh, the you know actual the character in the book, he, and he's mm. a friend of mine, so. Oh, okay. Very, okay. Very good friend. Of mine. Awesome. Maybe we get him on the show too. That'd oh, be- you would. Oh, he would be perfect. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, I'll remind our listeners, you can find uh, resources, rather, that Brian has shared with us at carsyad.com. Just put Brian Bonner, B-O-N-N-E-R, in the search bar, and his show notes page will pop right up. There's also a great place on the Cars Yad website, guest recommended books, where you can find these books and all the past books that our guests have recommended with quick, easy links, so you can get your hands on those. All right, Brian, we're up to the checkered flag. You know what this means? We're almost done, but this last question can be a real doozy for a car guy like you. If you could have only one collector car, and I'll include collector race car since you're a racer, in your garage, but don't worry about the price because I'm going to write the check. That big check we talked about, <laughs> I'm going to write one of those. And I promise I won't throw my checkbook across the room afterwards. I'll be real happy about it. What would that one vehicle be and why? Oh, I think I would, I'd, I'd get back my uh, Indy car from 92. And ah. it just has that has a lot of uh, sentimental value mm-hmm. to me. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, it went to the great racetrack in the sky oh. <laughs> after after the the abuse I gave it during that season. So, yeah. but no, that was that one had some special uh, memories for me. Is that the car you sent me the picture of the green car that you're sitting in? Yes. Yeah. So so I wrecked that car at Indy, um, and then I wrecked it again at uh, New Hampshire. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> well. You know, with old cars like that, I mean, can't you just get them and hang them on the wall, take the engine out and enjoy it? Or are they so wrecked that they kind of just go into a scrap pile? I, th- I think that at some point, carbon fiber turns to dust. It just yeah, evaporates. <laughs> Whoosh, in the wind. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, Brian, you have taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would. I love going around the track with you today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Is there one parting piece of guidance you can offer the Cars Yeah folks out there before you drive off down the track in that 1992 IndyCar? <laughs> I, I just say, just keep having fun with cars. They're the coolest. Well, my wife wouldn't like me to hear me say this, but they're the coolest thing in the world. Well, the coolest thing. Your wife is not a thing. She's a person. So that's no, how I... That's no, how cars. I, yeah, that's how I got you out of that one. <laughs> so, Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. I'm like saver. Yeah, I'm here to help you out, buddy. So uh, I've got a wife, too, who tolerates my passion for cars. So I've learned how to skirt around those things. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and BRM? BRMRace.com. All right, cool. It's a great place to go. I'll remind our listeners you can find that link and all the great things that Brian shared with us today at CarsYad.com on his show notes page. Just type Brian into the search bar. And that page will pop right up. Brian, thanks again for taking some time out today, taking a pit stop with me and being so generous with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!